Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to Reads Like a Four, the podcast that deals with criticism. I'm Adam Brooks and my guest this week is... Laura Williams. In terms of writing... I started off doing music reviews as a trainee reporter on the Dorset Echo about 15 years ago. Um, so it was on top of my day job as a news reporter um, and sort of that pattern followed through all the various local newspapers I worked for um, until I took redundancy and um, became editor of 247 magazine, which is a Bristol-based um, monthly printed magazine. And I helped build Bristol 247, which is another a bigger sort of newspaper-style magazine, um, and then started sort of going a bit more national. So I was Bristol correspondent for The Fly, um, rest in peace. Mm-hmm. Um, and more recently, I've been doing stuff for Louder Than War, um, long live vinyl, classic pop, um, and some of the bigger sort of uh, monthlies. Uh, I also cover a lot of festivals, so I've done e festivals, virtual festivals. I've covered festivals for Metro, um, uh, and a few other sort of niche sites as well. Laura's covered artists from Rick Ashley to the Manic Street Preachers, as well as writing for local and national newspapers, specialist magazines, being the music editor of a regional magazine, contributing to scores of websites and finding time to work for organisations as diverse as the Labour Party, the National Trust and the Baby Bank Network. Together, we took a look at some of the industry's shittiest practices, as well as heartening tales of fandom, tussles with Bon Jovi's management, Manic Street Preachers, and looking at what happens when pop gets serious and journos get paid in tickets. Laura's also somewhat controversial in that she's perhaps the first guest that argues that maybe there isn't much point to reviews, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Now, let's hear from Laura. Association, Closer, Long Live Vinyl, Classic Pop, Clash, Louder Than War, E-Festivals, BBC... Wiltshire Gazette, Western Daily Press. I feel like that's not... I feel like you've just said some that I've missed out. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's, yeah, and loads of other locals. Gloucestershire Gazette, Western Gazette, um, Bournemouth Echo, yeah. Um, Everywhere. Yeah. Um, well, let's start with local press then. Um, I was interested in... What, firstly, did you did you review stuff for local press or was it more reporting or a mixture of both? Yeah, so my day job with the press was news reporting, so covering all the sort of juicy, gory stuff, court cases and um, inquests and breaking news and murders and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that sort of environment, um, you kind of need to 
pitch for anything outside of that. Um, newspapers don't tend to, local newspapers don't tend to de- dedicate a lot of space to music and culture. Mm. Um, so it just depends who's working for them as to to whether what in what way they cover it. So, so murders are easy, but exactly. but you need well, to that's... find someone sympathetic to to culture, <laughs> basically. Yeah. So I um the first paper I worked on uh, the Dorset Echo. Um, one of the sub-editors there, Marco, he ran a music page. Um, he also writes for Record Collector and some of the old sort of poggy um, mags. He's still doing that. Um, and so I just sort of said to him, oh, you know, I'm into this sort of stuff. Do you want to take some reviews? Um, that was based in Weymouth. So you can imagine the dirge of gigs that <laughs> went through Weymouth. Um, so I'd review stuff at Bournemouth, um, at the Bic and stuff like that. Uh, but... There's a a bit of a lack of um, appreciation for the sort of for for the music scene among sort of the local press, and uh, you you'd file a review and it would go to a sub editor who just never heard of the band and would make your review sound completely different. Mm. So I was going to say what it. how do how do the expectations change between local press and and national or or music magazines. Is it more a case? So it's more a case that, that that often in local press there's less of an understanding of what the review is for. Yeah, totally. So, um, in there's mistakes that would get through that just you wouldn't get through in the music press because everyone there loves music. Mm. So, um, for example, I I reviewed the Ordinary Boys in in Bournemouth, um, and they were pretty crap. And so I my review read accordingly, and there was a backhanded sort of line in there about how at their best they mirrored some of Morrissey's worst work mm-hmm. um which is basically me saying at their very best they're still quite shit but the um sub-editor pulled out the headline ordinary boys as good as Morrissey wow uh, with my name under it so um that was a bit frustrating but there's also um instances whereby um in the in the sort of mainstream music press, you can be critical. Um, it's a bit it's a bit more controlled in some of the local newspapers I've worked in. Um, for example, I went to review Meatloaf at Bath Rugby Ground for the Bristol Post, and uh, it was terrible. He was drunk. He couldn't sing. Like it was just a really bad gig. So I wrote a review accordingly. Um, and I got a response from the um, editor saying, we don't carry bad reviews, can you rewrite it? And I was like, but it was so bad. Like, So I, anyway, I toned it down and tried to sort of hint at the fact that it was bad. And um, they ran the sort of toned down version. And then within two days, it had become a big news story because so many people contacted the paper to say how they wanted refunds because the gig was so bad <laughs> it became a everyone's demanding refunds from this bad gig story but our review had been pretty you gotta like, be careful tepid. gotta be careful they don't use your review as grounds to not give refunds out well <laughs> i know i know i felt a bit aggrieved by that and um yeah so there's it's just it's a bit of a strange space music doesn't um naturally sit in local newspapers so um it it's uh yeah it's it's totally different to music mugs and I guess increasingly now they're squeezed for space as well like my uh 
my hometown local paper has gone from daily to weekly yeah. and the content's halved and so yeah. I guess it gets harder and harder to yeah. and then there's kind of the point of you know is it worth running just one review does yeah. that tell you anything if yeah. yeah um I want to talk a bit a little bit about sub editing because I guess that's it's one of those things that people that are involved in journalism take as you know it happens all the time and everyone understands it but I feel like a lot of people who read especially local press don't realize that the headline sometimes the score has been changed by somebody who wasn't at the show, didn't see the yeah. what what I mean, I I can understand people tidying up grammar and things like that, but what's the point? Why why the sub editors do that? What, yeah, what I what's mean, it for? I mean, I I don't think that should be the way things are done. Um, when I was editing the music magazine myself, I did it all myself. Mm. Um, but um, when you're putting something into print in a local paper, I guess um, you've got space limitations, so you can't file it with a headline because that might not fit in the space mm-hmm. that they've allocated it to. Um, but, yeah, that is when mistakes go through because you get, you know, you get people who don't know anything about the music who weren't at the gig just picking out the sentence that they feel is the most eye-catching and they pull that out as the... The headline and it, it can totally distort what the reviewer intended. Yeah, almost reverse the message in the, in the yeah, case of your ordinary well, voice review. Quite. Um, what do you think the purpose of a review is in 2018? Spoken to a few people about whether social media makes means reviews are redundant. Um, yeah. Obviously, there are some people who kind of change change the sort of reviews they run because they realise that there's there's no point in writing a review that someone could read from their mate on Twitter. Like, what purpose do you think they serve now? Yeah, well, quite controversially, I um, I don't read reviews myself, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I would always take the judgment on, certainly like an album, um, by listening to it myself. And I wouldn't decide not to buy one because someone had written a bad review about it. Um, you know, I, my favourite band, Manic Street Preachers, I've seen them slagged off all over the internet for their middle of the road, Radio 2 dirge that they're peddling these days but you know they mean something to me so I'll always listen give them a whirl yeah um I think uh everyone's a sort of everyone's a music blogger these days and actually reviews I think it's a more of a transactional thing it's a way of getting gig tickets for free when you're not earning money out of your writing yeah so I think it's more the purpose is more for to give people access like that um that they might otherwise not get and then I guess uh, when bands are starting out, and even when they're big, they they use snippets of it to sort of promote what they're doing. So I can see the use on that front. So there's almost it's almost those kind of reviews are more of use to the industry than they yeah, are to the reader. I, I think. think so because I mean, there's sites like Metacritic um, for for films that sort of pull together all the reviews all over the internet and give it an overall score. I, th- score. I think that sort of thing is useful. Um, but I just I just find it really difficult to appreciate that one person's opinion is going to mirror yours. It's so, so subjective. So, um, for example, I read a lot of, lot of reviews from sites like... Um, well, I don't read them, actually, but occasionally I'll, I'll spot them... Uh, people on Twitter sharing their opinions of, say, the last Nick Cave album um, and sharing real personal takes on why it mattered to them. Um, And that's so personal and so um, sort of 
subjective to them that's not what I'm going to take from that um you know it's a nice piece of writing but it's it's not going to inform my opinion so I yeah I'm a bit skeptical as to um their place in in sort of the in music today beyond the industry reasons we've just sort of mm-hmm. touched upon okay um talking a bit about um magazines that you write for now like long live vinyl and classic pop print titles that have got perhaps more of a specific audience in mind does that give you extra freedoms when you're writing because you you know that people reading this are going to have a certain understanding or, or does it make it more restrictive because you know that you're probably not talking to a, a broader audience like you would be in a sort of tabloid or in a magazine a magazine like that um i, I yeah i think it's um yeah you can you can kind of assume a degree of understanding which means you don't have to dumb down mm-hmm. you don't have to be all metro about it or buzzfeed about it and you can you can drop references to like the band's history or the the musician's history without having to sort of spell it out so much um does it mean you don't have to waste words introducing the bands you it, write about exactly as well? yeah um it also i guess it's also got the challenge that you know these are people who've the readership are people who've probably read loads about this band. They've probably read, um, you know, a million interviews with this with the same band. So, um, y- you, it challenges you to to try and be more original and to dig out more information. So, um, for example, going back to the Mannix, I interviewed them recently, and I've um, read a couple of interviews since I did my interview, but before it's run in the mag and. Um, we've covered they're clearly talking about the same topics with every journalist they're mm-hmm. speaking to um and it's it's sort of you don't want to overkill it um i've already filed the piece i can't change it yeah but, um there's going to be some crossover but um it it you've got to up your game and you've got to really sort of dig for new stuff that yeah, I guess I guess the chance. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know. I don't know uh, long live vinyls audience like you do, but I would imagine somebody buying that is someone who's probably already spent some years reading an uncut or a mojo. Yeah, they are. If they read an article about Mannix, they will have read you know a sort of a Richie anniversary piece Absolutely, already. Yeah. They'll have read a, a, a Generation Terrorist anniversary piece, yeah. and so you, you there's perhaps a bit more pressure to provide something to those yeah. people that they yeah. haven't already seen. Yeah. Yeah, um, but as a as a sort of consumer of that sort of stuff myself, I kind of um, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't ask the boring questions anyway. They've yeah. been asked a million times, so yeah, it's um, and then classic pop. You've got um, that's quite an interesting, very specific audience. You know, you look at the metrics of of the Facebook page, and it's uh, it's a lot of guys in their late forties, fifties, and and sixties, mm. which um, for uh, for me as a, a woman in my 30s that provides a challenge in um how to sort of cater what I'm writing to that audience which is sort of, you know I'm not a guy in, in my 50s that's mm. quite it's a different generation it's a different gender so um how how do I shape things to sort of um meet that audience's needs that's quite a challenge as yeah. well 
Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. I guess that's... I'm kind of fascinated by Classic Pop Magazine. So it's, I guess it's it's... People, probably, I guess the first time round, a lot of the music that's covered is something that those people took less seriously than they do now. Yeah, I guess like yeah. with the kind of benefit of hindsight and nostalgia yeah. and so on, it's something now that they'll like kind of study. Yeah. Whereas at the time, it was just something they enjoyed. Yeah, uh, something quite throwaway. Yeah, I've just um, uploaded a big article on Rick Astley, which for most people, he's a he's a one hit wonder who, you know. Sh- we should probably be doing the uni circuit right mm-hmm. now, but actually, for a lot of people, he meant um, he meant so much to them back then, and they're sort of yeah really well, serious about it. And meant enough to people that he had that that huge kind of cultural renaissance a couple of years ago, yeah, where he was like yeah, one yeah. of the biggest British selling albums of the year. Or something. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's yeah. clearly a huge groundswell of people that yeah. yeah are now hardened Rick Astley fans. Yeah, yeah. Um, we talked a little bit on email before before you came over t- about um, the sort of culture of people reviewing expensive gigs and festivals for the ticket, basically, yeah. because obviously, you know, paid journalism seems seems to me to be harder to come by uh, in twenty eighteen than maybe it was twenty years ago, and so when there's an opportunity to review a festival or review like an expensive gig and and there's basically no pay in it but you get the ticket. Where do you stand on that being a fair thing to do because the value is still the same as if you were paid? Or is it unfair because it's being offered by someone who didn't have to pay for it either? Yeah. Um, I My opinion on this has changed over the years. So um, when I was starting off, I thought it was brilliant. You know, I was still in local newspapers. End of the Road had just launched, which has gone on to become one of my favourite festivals. And by doing a review, I could save myself 150 quid on a ticket. And mm. and at that level of my career, I thought, great. And I still think it's it's a great entry-level offer for people who want to build a portfolio and build experience, um, because it is a, is a high-value exchange there. Um, I am now in a position where I I probably wouldn't, do a festival review for free um uh I'm 99% sure I wouldn't unless it was like you know uh, 
an amazing offer to sort of go out to America and the flights and accommodation were included mm. or something, I might, you know, might consider that. But, um, but I think the problem there comes in the different ways in which p- people want you to cover festivals when you're not being paid. So, um, I absolutely, you know, when I was at two four seven magazine, I had a uh, a wave of sort of people fresh out of uni who wanted to cover festivals to build their photography portfolio or their writing portfolio and um, I was pretty lax with um, the sort of conditions I put on that I sorted their tickets um, and I just asked for the review and the photos within three days of the festival finishing Mm -hmm. so they could literally go along enjoy the festival I didn't even specify which bands I wanted pictures of most of the time I just sort of left their judgment to sort of experience that and and write about it or take photos as as they saw fit um and then they get home and have a few days to sort of pull it all together and send it over Mm -hmm. um which I think uh you know they were happy with that I was getting some content out of that um you know I, I was running a music magazine on two day a week minimum wage because that is that's what it's like in the regions you know um I didn't have a big freelance budget I barely have budget they barely have budget to pay me so um I don't really have a problem with that but um one experience that really sort of was a turning point for me was when I was covering Isle of Wight festival for um virtual festivals um so they don't I mean they've just recently rebranded but they didn't pay their writers it was a trade-off for tickets I got one ticket for Isle of Wight for me so I didn't even get a plus one and it was a miserable rainy year and I didn't know anyone else there but it was Bruce Springsteen, Tom Petty and Pearl Jam and I was like I I just really wanted to see it it was Mm -hmm. a sold out festival so it was my way in Um, but it turned out they were selling reviews to Metro off the back of the free writers. Wow, okay. Um, and so Metro, they probably weren't aware that the writer wasn't getting paid, so they had quite um, severe demands um, on, on what they wanted. So they wanted a review of the headliner at 11 o'clock every night filed so they could make it into the next day's paper, whether the headliner had finished or not. And then they wanted three backstage gossip stories every day to put in their showbiz column. And um, I wasn't at that festival to hang out backstage with Alexa Chung and Alex Zane or anything. I was at that festival to see Bruce Springsteen and Tom Petty and Pearl Jam, you know. So, And anyone who's seen Bruce Springsteen will know that he'll go on way past 11. So I found myself in a position where I was like, I've got a file from this festival. So I had to buy myself an iPad because otherwise I just had this knackered old laptop that belonged to my day job. Mm. Um, so I actually ended up paying more than I would have had I bought a ticket Um, and then I missed some of the stuff I really wanted to see Um, and I ended up sort of by the end of it having filed like thousands and thousands of words Um, and the people I was doing it for for free were getting paid for that and I wasn't seeing any of that so I think that was a by that point I was just like no this this ain't right so so yeah um so there's a spectrum. Like I think you know, you've got your, you've got your small scale blogs and publications, and I see that there is a place for that um, writing in exchange for guest list. Um, 
but when you're getting up to the people who are making money out of it, I think that's totally unfair and I would urge against that. Especially if content's being farmed out to other people who were prepared to pay for it. That seems like a a pyramid scheme. Yeah. Yeah. So my, my, my tactic after that was, well, I'll contact Metro Direct, see if they want to pay me direct for it. Yeah. If I'm going to do that, but no, I... I'm no, I've got no interest in that kind of tabloidy festival chic Do you think the the sort of it's kind of related to that the apparent lack of pay for reviews sometimes? Do you think it leads to people writing? just about things they're passionate about because there has to be something in it for them and if it's not money then it's because they really want to go to the show or they really want to write about the band and is that a good thing or does do you think we're heading in a direction where what you're getting is loads of people writing as if everything's amazing because they're not paid enough to write about things they don't that's love. a really good point yeah I, I hadn't really thought about it in those terms but absolutely if you're writing for free why would you go and see a band that you don't think is good um unless it's a band that's been hyped so um a few years ago james blake everyone wanted to review him because he was so hyped and um uh some of the reviews i got back from that were were negative because he'd been overhyped arguably um so but yeah that's that's absolutely true it's like um, when I worked at the Bristol Post, I was asked to review um, the bootleg Beatles, and I hate the Beatles, so I knew I was going to hate the bootleg Beatles, so I was just like, I'm not spending an evening doing that. Um, so yeah, I think it probably does skew it, and there is a, there is a, it's a really good point, I don't mm. think I've read a really critical review in a long time. It's something that's come up a bit talking to to people for other episodes as well, but I feel like there's a bit of a move towards people writing about things they're really passionate about, which is really great and, yeah. and heartening. And it's nice to put some in some ways to have less negativity in, in reviews and criticism. But I do think maybe we get to a point by following that, that everything is talked about in such positive mm. terms that people lose their trust in music journalism yeah. because they don't believe they're ever going to see somebody say, this is bullshit and I'll tell you why. Unless you're totally let down. So I went to see Micah P. Hinson um, a few months back um, because I really like his music. I like listening to it at home. And it was such an awful gig. And there's no way you could have polished that turd. People were walking out at the end and stuff. So um, so there are going to be instances where you, it's unavoidable. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, it does kind of, it's kind of, worrying in in that respect yeah i I, i'm curious i'm curious about what point we're going to end up at yeah basically um what assumptions do you think the average person has about music journalists and critics and how right are they Mm. well i guess um there's this it's easy to see music critics as pretentious i think Mm -hmm. um you know, if you're at a gig and someone's there with a notepad, you think, oh, who's that prick with a notepad showing off? Mm. Um, you know, I, I always try to subtly write notes in my phone, but then it looks like I'm just on my phone for the whole gig. So I'm sure we're annoying to a lot of people. Um, 
I I think maybe younger people it's still quite aspirational like oh wow you you know you're making a living out of of doing something you love and and even me I'm 35 now I fell in love with I'm sorry to flog a dead horse here but I fell in love with the Mannix in my early teens and you know I've interviewed James Dean Bradfield twice over the past year and I'm still I'm a bit like oh my god I'm interviewing my heroes and getting paid for it that's amazing mm. so I think there's still it's it's still sort of dreamed up job territory for some people but um I can see why perhaps other people might view view it as pretentious or even like a waste of time you know there's so much going on in the world around politics and um people in need and stuff and is it you know is it that important um i don't know do you think do you think it's one of those that as you get older context makes you see it as less important i guess i guess there is a, a natural move with everybody that everyone is far more engaged with music when they're younger and the older you get, if you maintain that same level of running down the front at gigs and things, it tends to mark people out as being a bit of an oddball sometimes. Yeah. Which is kind of a shame, I think. Like, I do like to see that enthusiasm yeah. as you get older. But, you know, other things do take priority, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I, I went to see um, Brett from Suede do a book signing in Bath last week. And um, the queue was around the block and it was all people in their 30s and 40s proper fangirls and boys mm-hmm. over it and it was it, it did feel a bit weird it felt like these people people just hadn't moved on from the adulation they had in their teenagers for this this same band and um yeah it's uh it's it's interesting but then it shows that that music does matter it, that's throughout these people's lives it's still been a driving force it's you know, there were people outside this book signing and, and they'd been friends online as part of this fan group on this Facebook page and they were meeting for the first time and they were forging genuine friendships that you know are just going to evolve into these sort of beautiful long-term relationships, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's a bit garbled, a bit muddled. I think I'm to and fro on that a <laughs> bit. Um, well, on that sort of rough note... Obviously, um, I know that alongside writing, you're relatively politically and socially active as well. And kind of we can talk a bit about Baby Bank Network and so on uh, later on, I think. But I wondered to what extent is there a temptation to work your sort of values or your beliefs into a review? Or do you do you do you do it? Should you do it? Or do you keep kind of music writing and what you're up to elsewhere very separate? It's quite separate for me. I do a lot of different stuff and um, when I'm in the music zone, I'm totally in the music zone. So um, I'm just about to have another baby. I wrapped up my job in an ancient deer park two weeks ago. I wrapped up my job with an MP last week and this week I've just been spending the whole week uploading um, music stuff to the Classic Pop and Long Live Vinyl websites. So um, I sort of try and comp compartmentalize it a bit Mm -hmm. um I do get excited when bands are political and I do get disappointed when all bands want to talk about is love um so that probably does affect how I judge 
that. I guess it, maybe it comes through in subtler ways in that you'll be jumping at a Mannix review and in part, I presume the appeal of the Mannix is that there's always been a, a keen political edge to yeah, them as well. Yeah. So perhaps it's in, it's in what you review as much as how it's reviewed. Yeah, exactly. And the questions I ask if I'm interviewing a, an artist or something as well. Um, uh, and also that, like, you know, gender politics, you know, I... If I go to a festival, I find myself drawn towards more female acts because they tend to be more sparse on the bill and stuff. So Mm -hmm. if you're reading a festival review from me, it's probably going to be quite different to if you're reading it from, you know, the bloke from The Quietus or or Line of Best Fit or something. Um, And it's not contrived, it's just that's where my sort of heart lies and, and that's where I'm drawn. So, um, which is why coming back to what we, what I was saying about reviews being so subjective, I wouldn't expect anyone to sort of read a review that I'd written and, and base a decision of whether to go see a band or go to a festival off that. So it, in a way, you know, why am I doing it? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't invite you all to talk you out of Sorry. a profession here. No, it's fine. I'm, um, yeah, I mean, for me, music, music criticism and music journalism is so much more than reviews. Um, you know, I, the bit, the bits that really float my boat are the long form features and, um, interviews and stuff like that, really sort of drilling down to get to know musicians. Yeah. Um, so we've established that you've written for at least 20 publications and sites <laughs> by my count um, and and there's national tabloids and broadsheets in there, there's local press and magazines, specialist music sites, worldwide organisations. We talked a bit about this earlier but what differs in terms of what they want from you when it comes to music writing or reviews? Uh, yeah, so the, lo- the local, at one end of the scale you've got the local newspapers who they do want that dumbed down, spelling out who this band is um, and they want the mainstream stuff. They're not interested in, you know, your local up-and-coming band, really, despite being a local paper. They're interested in, um, you know, Brian Ferry playing the Colston Hall or whatever, which I'm happy to go to. I, I love that guy. But, um, but for example, when I was at, at The Post, um, the deputy editor absolutely loved... Um, Oh, I can't even remember what band it was. It's it was just some naff middle of the road sort of country tinged band that he desperately wanted covered, um, and uh, he was sort of setting the agenda of what 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 bands we would cover. Mm. Oh, Ed Sheeran's been hyped, so we've got to cover him, and and it was squeezing out some of the more exciting stuff, and then so so take you know idols for example they've never given a toss about them and until now now they're getting hyped they're mm. all over it and they could have been covering it for covering them for years well, you know it was happening yards away from their office exactly <laughs> yeah. exactly so um so that's quite um it's not very fulfilling as a music fan to to do that sort of stuff i don't think and um you know i used to get paid 16 pounds a review so i'd you know, be clearing about 100 quid a month in reviews at the sort of height of when I was able to go before I had kids. And um, and, th- and then even they put they sort of pulled that. They were like, what's the point in, in spending this pittance on reviews? They got um, 
a bunch of people to write them for free now and and but they're more dictated um as to what will be covered whereas i find with some of the like you know louder than war and some of the national sort of publications um they're a lot more open to the obscure stuff and the new stuff and um you can you can write it in a way that you don't have to hold the reader's hand through what that experience was like so um yeah mm -hmm. it's uh you the audience is very and you've got to, got to bear in mind the audience um you can't get away with with some bands like half man half biscuit the, the fans are um absolutely avid and know every lyric and every song title and you can't get away with getting something wrong yeah. when you're and there's a lot of words in those song titles to there get is wrong. <laughs> there is and bless him big jeff covered um a half man half biscuit gig for me in bristol um for one of the publications i was with i was editing and um uh, under the review that these comments started to drop going they didn't play that song they didn't play that song I, I didn't hear that song and I said Jeff what's going on he goes oh I couldn't remember what they played so I just kind of guessed <laughs> and I was like oh you can't really do that <laughs> I should uh, I should clarify quickly for international listeners and listeners outside of Bristol uh, Big Jeff is, is a Bristol music institution he's uh, a gentleman who is probably at more gigs than well certainly more gigs than anyone I've ever known yeah. Generally, he's at two to three gigs a night. Uh, everyone knows him because he's got a lot of uh, friends amongst international musicians. Yep. That's our Jeff. Yeah, he's a he's a giant, a friendly giant with a big mop of um, yellow, blonde hair. So if you, if you've ever been to a Bristol gig, you've probably seen him, um, and he really really knows his stuff as well. So it was good to have him writing, but um, yeah, you you can get caught out like that. Yeah. So. <laughs> Um, what do you think's been the biggest or most unexpected reaction uh, from a review you've written, either from fans or from the artist or from other writers? Or Well, this is quite... Since social media came on the scene, it's it's a bit soul-destroying, actually. So um, the first gig I ever went to was Embrace in 1998, Southampton Guildhall, um, and I loved it, and I've... I've seen them a few times since and I went to see them a couple of years ago in Bristol and um, it was it was really bad and um, so I wrote accordingly and then I got a tweet from um, Richard in the band because I'd sort of commented on the singer's voice, Danny's voice and um, he said well Danny had a cold you know cut him some slack and I just found that really bizarre like the first rule of the internet is you don't read what people are saying about you. Like I, well, you certainly you know, don't let them know you are. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And um, I found that quite bizarre. And um, it was uh, it's pretty awkward actually. Like I'm like, oh, get well soon. Like you know, what else can I say to that really? It seems like a slightly odd line of defence, though. You would, yeah. you would think the argument is either you have to overcome the cold or you have to cancel the show. Yeah, I yeah, I mean. There was another instance as well when I reviewed Bon Jovi at the big at the football ground in Bristol, and um, I mean, yeah, I I probably I do claim a bit of the blame here, but I referred to to the um, rest of the guys as his backing band, <laughs> and um, I got an email from his manager saying, um, 
one um, John reads all his reviews and he's uh, not too happy you've referred to them as his backing bands they're accomplished musicians in their own right you know okay. it's Bon Jovi um, so I did have to concede defeat to a degree in that and I did up, update that um, but that was quite surprising I'm like Bon Jovi John Bon Jovi's read Bristol 24-7's <laughs> review of uh, Ashton Gate well, and now the, now the secret's out that he reads everything yeah there we go there be we go. careful what yeah. you say um What's the what's the thought process you have when a band you love releases an absolute disaster of a record and that you have to review it? Uh, I've had a few instances of this. Um, it's it's interesting as um, another element of that is when a friend asks you to review one of their albums and you're like, oh god, that is terrible, and I just sort of fumble around it and say oh we didn't have the space I'm really sorry rather <laughs> than run a bad review um if it's a band I love um I mean I I I will I would file an honest review of it um I had an instance recently where I I filed a review of a band I liked um but it was a really bad album and the um editor took the decision not to run it because um well, they were they had loads of albums that they could have run and a good relationship with the label and um just they took that decision that was out of my hands. I yeah. still filed it, I still got paid for it, so that was that was kind of fine. But um but again, it's coming back to this subjective thing, like I might think it's crap, but a load of other people might not. And mm. in fact, you know, I read a really bad review of the public service broadcasting album on The Quietus, like tore it to shreds, the last one, and I absolutely loved it. So um, I think you need to take it with a pinch of salt, really, and different publications can have different views, different writers are, so... Yeah. Um, so we're coming to the end, but there's one thing that I do at the end of every episode with everyone that's on, um, and I've basically got five segments of writing here some of them are yours some of them are someone else's OMG. the idea is to see if you can recognize your own oh, God. in amongst them all uh, i'm crap at writing reviews well on, on episode <laughs> so far there's it's been it's been a mixed bag a few people got them all right one one person actually not only got all of them right but told me the band that each of them was about oh my goodness. but uh, so no pressure but it's fine oh. you won't be judged on it it's just for fun so this is the first one uh, nothing if not self-aware you suspect this is in fact oh, this is a fact of which this band are perfectly cognizant too smart to waste everyone's time going through the motions their recent output has been marked by the sense of a band torn between winding down and carrying on that's not me okay that's uh, that's Alexis Petridis but he was talking about Mannix that was, was a, he? that's from the Futurology review uh, yeah. in the Guardian uh, number two um its swelling synths aren't full-bodied enough to carry on to carry an otherwise fairly uninteresting arrangement, uh, and Cave's over-accented croon doesn't work as well as his almost off-the-cuff approach to the rest of the album. Not me. That's also not you, but that's a review in uh, from Drowning Sound of Skeleton Tree uh, with Benjamin Bland, <laughs> number three. Um, I'll tell you how I, I can tell whilst you're trying to read your right. writing, because um, my approach is a lot more. Uh, reportage because of my background as a news journalist oh I see okay. so um, a lot of this creative writing I, I just don't have it in me yours is more fact, <laughs> factual yeah 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 okay. but here we go we'll give it one alright um, if you're not devoting your concentration to this album you could miss out 
on its time, beauty and brilliance. That could be me, but I don't think it is. I'm going to have to press you for an answer. No. That one is you. It is me. Yeah, that was you. Uh, that was a Neil Young review uh, from Louder Than War. Oh, yeah. okay, yeah. Um, okay. This gap-toothed crown prince of the millennial slacker scene spends the first half hour wearing languid 80s synth-pop, lounge jazz, and what sounds like someone taking sandpaper to a vinyl copy of South Pacific. No. That's not you. I wouldn't well, use millennial. That's... Uh, <laughs> It's Mark Beaumont in The Guardian review, Mac DeMarco. Uh, finally, number five. Their stories conjure up images of life on the road, romantic beatnik vibes. The way they turn a gig into a party is inspired. The music has soul, and this soul is hinged in great tales. Is that me, and is that Tellison? Uh, no, it is you, but it's not Tellison. Although, God knows I love Tellison. Uh, that's a Houndmouth review. Oh, from, yeah. yeah. New York. Yeah. So there we go. That's four out of five. Yeah. That's pretty okay. good. Not a bad going. Um, that's everything. Thanks so much for talking to us. Cool. No worries. Thank you. Thanks so much to Laura Williams for joining me for this week's episode and to Emmeline Lawford, who's behind the artwork for Reads Like a Four. You can get in touch with us. Uh, our email is readslikeafour at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram and Twitter at readslikeafour. In fact, every Friday morning on Twitter, you'll find uh, links to extra reading that relate to that week's episode. Uh, so I hope you find that useful. Uh, if you are a critic or you know of one that'd like to be on a future episode, drop us an email or get in touch uh, via any of those methods. Uh, coming up next week, a new episode with a brand new critic. Until then, thanks so much for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.